0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Millennial in the Middle. I'm Connor delin Episode 25. We just keep hitting benchmarks. Kind of fun. Thanks for still listening. I know we're putting out a lot of content and uh, I see all the analytics from our listeners and from the analytics, I'm not putting out too much. You're listening to it all. So thank you. As always, thanks for sharing and passing this on. We love seeing this movement grow. And so thanks for being a part of it. Today's interview, uh, you know, the last couple episodes that you've seen that have been the solo podcast with just me have been my reactions to the debates. The first presidential debate, couple episodes, and then in episode 24, my reaction to the VP debate actually being there. Pretty cool experience. Got a lot of great feedback from you of uh, thinking that was pretty cool to hear kind of the behind the scenes and what that was like. And so being in this mindset of debates, I thought I'd give you another little uh, glimpse of my life that I haven't really talked about. In high school, I was on the debate team. I loved it. I uh, was able with debate to really travel all over the country, went to nationals a few years in a row, uh, debated at Stanford and Berkeley. I competed in an event called Lincoln-Douglas, which is a value-based debate that's actually named after the series of debates that happened between Abraham Lincoln and Stephen A. Douglas as they were competing in the Republican primary uh, for the to be the Republican nominee uh, before, you know, Lincoln ended up winning and then obviously went on to win the election just prior to the Civil War. Uh, So who I'm going to introduce you today is Allie Martin, or as I knew her back then, Mrs. Martin. She is now Dr. Martin, but in the episode, you'll just hear me refer to her as Allie. Allie was my high school debate coach. And I wanted to bring her on today because I have always respected her perspective of The world of politics, of human rights issues, and her ability to articulate that is something that I think is really inspiring. And so I brought her on today to talk about a couple things. First off, I wanted to show the lessons that I learned in high school debate that I still benefit from now. And I think that my listeners are kind of learning as we go through this process with Millennial in the Middle of how to look at both sides of an argument, how to have empathy, how to not personally, emotionally tie your side of the argument to whatever the issue is, that you don't have to make it personally about you, about how to understand who you're speaking to, and how to really impact people, how to influence change. And I think a lot of that I learned in debate and still carry that with me today. But more importantly, the reason I wanted to bring Allie on is Allie is one of the more liberal people I know. And to be honest with you, she was really the first person in my formative years in high school that started to open my mind to different ways of thinking. Uh, I, you know, grew up with Republican parents. I'm from Utah. Obviously, most of the people I know, my grandparents, all think very conservative. And I remember being in high school and all of a sudden, kind of changing some of the ways I think as I learned more, as I became more informed. Uh, I've talked about before how in 2008, right in the middle of my high school years, how I was really on the Obama train—that I was excited about him, that that was something that uh, you know I really cared about and got involved with. And Allie played a big role in that. So. What I ask her in this episode are what are those topics or those issues to her? that make her believe the way she does and do the things that she does uh she's become an activist in the society and has done a lot of good out there to give you just a little feel for her bio i want to read a little bit of what she's doing right now Uh, dr ali martin she currently works as an assistant principal at horizonte instruction and training center in salt lake city uh, in the salt lake city school district she earned her Doctorate of Educational Leadership and Policy from the University of Utah, and Allie serves as a member of the Board of Governors for the Human Rights Campaign and is a co-founding member of Friends, Allies, and Mentors of the LGBTQ community, uh, shortened as FAM, FAM. Through her work with FAM, Ali regularly provides professional learning experiences to educators on issues of intersectionality and LGBTQ youth. And some of the experiences that she shares here in the classroom, dealing with uh, you know really human rights, we talk about race, we talk about uh, we talk about LGBTQ rights, obviously. And I think this conversation is really inspiring and informative. And I hope this serves as a really good example of a positive conversation that we can have about possibly testy or uncomfortable topics. And I hope you learn a thing or two by listening to this. Thanks to Allie for joining to me, joining with me, and we'll hear from you soon. Okay, well, Allie Martin, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you coming out. We have not seen each other in, I think we said, seven or eight years, right?
1: Oh, at least, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, well, it's been fun to me. Be just before the call started to kind of re, uh, reconnect with you and talk a little about some experiences, and I'm really excited for this interview today uh, to kind of – explain honestly the role you played in my life and still today, how kind of those things that uh, I think you taught me and what I learned at that point in my life uh, has still made an impact today. So you were my high school debate coach. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, I think it's funny. A lot of people think you know, I, I, it's almost like you're a little embarrassed or something now to say, oh, I was in debate. Like this has this nerdy connotation or, oh, you were one of the debate kids. I'm proud of it. Right. Like I was a debater. I was a good debater. I loved it. And, uh, tell me like, what makes you love like specifically high school debate so much?
1: Oh my gosh. I think it's kind of like the, you know, the, the land of misfit toys you get, um, a little bit of everybody who doesn't fit in perfectly and and it creates its own community. Um, I think there's almost like a camaraderie amongst debaters, you know, like like you run into people and you meet them later in life and you're like, I bet that person did debate. And they did. <laughs> you can tell because it's very it requires a you know, that you are a thoughtful person, that you appreciate thinking and academics and, and, and critical thinking skills. But there's also a little bit of a sense of like, you're willing to, to not fit in, to question things and to stand out a little bit because that's a necessary part of debate is you always have to be willing to look at the other side. And um, sometimes that doesn't make you popular, but it definitely makes you, a, I think a more thoughtful person.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's great. Actually, And in, in prep for this interview, I was just kind of reflecting on like, there are definitely lessons I learned that just being involved in debate taught me that I still hold on to today. And one of the first ones that came to mind is what you just mentioned there. And what a lot of people may not know when it comes to debate is that you debate. Both sides. So like, you know, there's different types of events in debate. You may have a topic for a month or even all the way up to a year, but you prepare, you know, basically a topic goes out nationwide and you prepare a case for and against that on both sides. And you don't show up at a event and get to choose, I'm pro this and so I'm just gonna argue for this for the next two days at this event you're forced to argue both sides of that argument and write cases for both sides of it. And I think that's such a good skill that I think the world is lacking a bit today.
1: Yeah, I agree, I agree. I think, I mean, there there are times, I I know you experienced this, where they tell you what the topic is, and you're like, well, I could could never see the other side of that. (laughs) And then within about a week, you're like, oh my gosh, Like, I didn't even think about all of the good points on the other side of this. And I think, you know, it doesn't change who you are or it doesn't change your, your values or your ethics, but I feel like it makes them more, um, more robust because, because you're not easily swayed. You, you have considered the other side and you yeah. have looked at different perspectives.
0: Yeah, I think, and it's so funny, we look at our political world we're in today. And I think if you ask some people to like, hey, go make the case for Donald Trump, their head would explode, right? Or, hey, you go make the case for Kamala Harris or the, you know, for Bernie Sanders. And it would be like, I my brain would just literally stop working. And I right. think that's such an important piece for us to realize like, hey, there's truth in all aspects, not just politics, on all sides, and that there's always a bit of middle ground. And I think, you know, that's the whole point of this podcast, Millennial in the Middle, right? Of, I think most of us find ourselves, even though we may lean one way or another, somewhere in a rational, you know, common sense, somewhere in the middle and kind of finding how to live in that world, right?
1: Yes, yes, agreed.
0: Yeah. You know, the other thing I thought about is I was breaking down kind of the lessons I learned is the mindset of a claim, warrant, and an impact. You taught me those three words for my listeners. Give a little rundown of what those three things mean. I think we could all benefit by thinking a little bit that way.
1: Sure. Sure. It's been a while since I've taught this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I was remembering it today. I'm like, I still remember what it is, but I'm gonna let you teach it.
1: Okay. All right. I'll do my best. Um, so essentially the idea is that, you know, you have to have a complete argument, which includes a claim warrant and impact that the claim is, is just usually like the, the, like the argument, like the title of the argument, right? Um, so your claim might be um, that we should limit immigration in the United States. That's just a claim. You have no, you have no rationale Sorry. behind that. So then you have to have your warrant, which is the rationale behind that. Um, We should limit immigration to the United States because, and then you give some sort of a reason that's hopefully based in logic and possibly even better supported by evidence, right? Um, And then even then you're still not complete because after you've said what you want to do, why you want to do it, then you still have to say how that, how what you just said impacts the world, right? So we should limit immigration um, because uh, the United States economy is, is not strong enough to support new people coming to the nation or whatever. Sure. And therefore, we need to have fewer people in our country. That would be your yeah. impact. And no. then, the, the, then you still have to say, like, even just because you made a complete argument doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. It's sure. just, just the starting point.
0: Yeah, and, and there's good arguments on both sides that have the claim, the warrant, the impact. I mean, I always remember thinking that is, you know, the claim is what I'm saying. The warrant is my reasoning behind it. It's my evidence. It's it's why I feel that's true, and then ultimately why it matters. And yeah. and I think that that impact piece is where I feel like a lot of us miss the point too, where we get so huddled, you know muddled up in the details or these little policies and things like this. And then we take a little step back and be like, well, why does this make a difference? Why do we care about this? Why are we debating this in the first place? Does that play, you know, does that have a big impact on my life, on the lives of others? And, you know, just because it doesn't affect me doesn't mean it's not something we should talk about. And and so I love that mindset. I think for all our listeners, as we go through this, the more, you know, we hear these different types of arguments or debate, right? And we can think. Are those pieces there? And specifically, as you can connect that to you, it makes us more intellectual, more informed as we go through this. Uh, anything else you wanna to add to the value of debate before we jump into this?
1: Yeah, just very briefly, I do think you know one of, one of the things is that it forces you to respect your opponent. And yeah. part of, of having a well-constructed argument and listening to a well-constructed argument is it prevents us from getting into these really, like name calling-esque arguments that, that we hear so often now. So if, so if somebody says like, I think we should limit immigration and then, and then the response was just like, why? Cause you're a racist? Oh, you're a racist, you know? It's like, wait a second, like yeah. listen to why they say that, listen to the whole argument and then respond to that because you're going to ha- be more persuasive for one thing, but also like, don't assume that just because you disagree with somebody that they, ha- that they don't have a reason or a well thought out, you know, position. Um, for for what they're saying. If, if, If we listen, then we can have better conversation and we can actually maybe come to a place of agreement.
0: I love that. And that's, I know you've listened, but that's rule one of this whole podcast, right? The podcast rules is one, don't call names. Like the minute you do that, you lose credibility. And like, then we're not thinking through things. We're labeling people, we're shutting it off. And I even try to avoid on this like, oh, that person's a Republican, that person's a Democrat. Because if that's what starts that conversation, I automatically think either more of them or less of them because, oh, they must agree with me or they're like me or they're unlike me. And you know I think we saw a good example of this in the VP debate this week. Um, we chatted about this a little bit this week. Obviously, the contrast between what happened in the VP debate was, you know, miles apart from what happened in the week before. But one thing I said going into that was I really hoped for a good debate, I think like we saw, because I think the two parties platforms really are very different right now, very different directions they feel the country will head. And honestly, I think a good debate is if you talk to people who won that debate. I think you, whoever side you agree with, you probably feel one the other night, mm-hmm. because they both did a pretty good job of, are you know making their case for why they feel the way they do. Obviously, they you know different bumps along the way and flies on the head, and that's what we talk about. But you know, what was your from a debate mindset? What were your thoughts on what we saw this week?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. It was definitely a better debate than, yeah. than the presidential one for sure. Um, You know, I'm always disappointed in these debates because it's not really debate. It's competing talking points, um, which is disappointing, but I also understand it makes for better television. Um, But I do think, you know, there were there were points that I wish had been pressed. I I wish that instead of just trying to cover everything, they would just go really deep into one or two areas because. There were, there were questions I had that I wished had gotten answered. But at the same time, I do feel like I came away with a better understanding of where each candidate, or not just where they stand, but why they stand. You know, what, sure. what they believe is informing them. So that was helpful.
0: Yeah. No, I, it was interesting because I, uh, the, the kind of the last thing that I learned from this whole mindset of debate was the concept of judge adaptation right? And it's this thought that, you know, it, hey, in high school debate, there's one judge or sometimes a panel of judges, if that you're going to, you know, go with a majority vote that decides who's the winner. And mm-hmm. you learn very quickly that you need to get to know your judge a little bit or have a feel for what they might be thinking or the way they think through things before you go in. You know, if you approach every topic the same way all the time, You might miss the boat with certain voters. And that's kind of hard when you're talking to a hundred million people.
1: It is, it is. And I think, you know, a lot of people criticize that, that, um, you know, they're both candidates are too far in the middle. Right. I mean, not as much in this campaign, but a lot of times they say, you know, uh, Biden's not liberal enough. Trump's, or, I don't know if if there's anybody arguing that he's not conservative enough, but, (laughs) but in the past, I've heard that. <laughs> yes. Um, we heard that with
0: Romney. We'll say that.
1: There you go. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, part of that is that judge adaptation, you know, like they're they're not going to come out extremes because they're looking to try to, to be persuasive to the most number of people. And when you really look at it, like extremes don't get us too far. I mean, you know, I... There are a lot of there are a lot of very liberal causes that I believe in, but I don't think that um, me shouting down another person is going to help those causes. It wow. has to be a conversation, and in order to start that conversation, like you've said so many times, you have to start in the middle.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's a great segue into the whole thought of what I want to talk about today because frankly, in, you know, I grew up in Utah. My parents are conservative. My grandparents are conservative. Most of my friends, the people I'm around, like that's just what I grew up thinking and around. And in high school, all of a sudden I'm in debate. And I remember you were legitimately like the first person I remember talking politics with that was very liberal on on most topics. Right. And being like, oh, well, Mrs. Martin, I'm going to say Mrs. Martin here, not Allie, right? But Mrs. Martin like is really smart. She's right. She makes a lot of good points here. And you know, in 2008, I graduated high school in 2010, so right in the middle of that was Obama's campaign. I was on the Obama bandwagon, right? Like he was speaking to the youth, change we can believe in compared to this McCain guy that looks like a dinosaur, like that spoke to me. And and I you know, really appreciate all of a sudden that's when I started to open my mind to, you know, some different ways of thinking. And I want to give a little bit of a challenge today to our listeners as we talk about this. To my listeners out there that fall more on the conservative side, uh, don't just take that like temptation of just shutting this conversation off because I want to talk today, Ali, about what you feel are the voting issues of just kind of like liberal mentality or the Democratic Party in general right now, I don't necessarily want to talk about why you should vote for Joe Biden or why you shouldn't vote for Donald Trump. Like, I think we know that that both these mindsets are way bigger than two people. Mm -hmm. But for you, like talking voting issues, what do you feel like stands at the forefront of the most important things you look at today?
1: So um, for me, I'm I'm very involved in in um, advocacy work for the LGBTQ community. So mm-hmm. for me, I, I go there first. And one of the reasons why it's, it's always been really dear to my heart um, comes from being a high school teacher. So my very first year teaching high school, I remember I had a student who was gay. Um, he was struggling to, to come out of the closet. He was struggling to kind of, you know, be okay with who he was and debate as we said it was kind of a safe place for him um and i remember i took a sick day and i you know came back the next day and and all, every teacher who's ever had a sick day who's ever had to um have a substitute teacher knows that that fear of like what went wrong while i was gone how did the sub like change everything <laughs> and the students were all complaining about the sub and i was like okay okay uh like i know everybody has these complaints but I found out that the, the student had come into my classroom to like bring an assignment in or something, you know, he stopped by and he wasn't even in the class or something like that that day. And um, the sub made fun of him and was and talked about how he was so gay and how, um, you know, if he had a son like that, he'd have he'd disown him or something just really horrible like that. And not this, to
0: his face, but to the other students?
1: To the rest of the class, right, oh, after wow. this, this kid had left. And my students were up in arms, and they were so mad, and for good reason. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, I've created this safe space, you know, where kids feel comfortable, and where kids feel like they can be themselves, and that they are welcome. But the second I leave the room, that leaves. And I can't even protect my own classroom when, when I'm not there. And that was, for me, kind of one of the pushing points to get me more involved in advocating for larger change. Um, And this was, you know, 2001. So this was a while ago when I started teaching. Um, And I think things have have come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Um, And the more and more informed I got on it, the more I came to realize that, you know, this this fear that my student had, and since then I've had, Lots of gay students, um, because there are lots of gay people in the world,
0: sure. and
1: and that these fears are very legitimate. Because at any given time, you don't know how somebody's going to react to you and how somebody's going to treat you. And so, for me, a big issue is um, the way that our federal government can protect LGBTQ people and ensure that they don't have to live their lives in fear as much as as they do um, now. And even with things like like repealing, um, you know, the the Housing, Human Health and Housing Services Department has turned back some regulations saying that now um, homeless shelters can discriminate against transgender people. So we know transgender people are more likely to be homeless because they're more likely to be jobless and they're more likely to be kicked out of their homes. And so then to say that because you're a transgender man or a transgender woman, you can't have the services of a homeless shelter, um, you know, puts people in a really dangerous position and it makes them less likely to ask for help because now they can, again, legally be discriminated against. Yeah. Um, and so for me, those are, those are the issues. Do we wanna be the kind of country where everybody feels welcome and accepted or do we wanna be the kind of country where certain people are excluded legally which is, yeah. you know, not, not the
0: kind of world that I want to live in. Yeah. Now I, one, that's a really powerful story. And I think everyone listening to that is probably just like cringing as you hear that. Right. Um, it's probably not as, I don't think that's that extreme or unusual of a story, right? Things like that happen uh, more often than we'd probably want to admit. And here's what I think a lot of people struggle with in politics, right? Is what you just described right there, I think would be labeled as like a liberal or democratic belief or platform, right? But why? You know, I, I sit there and look at that. I had a viewer or a listener very early on send me a message that I, it was so simple, but I thought it was so well done where she said, Connor, I love the idea of this podcast because I am a conservative. Like I vote for Republicans, I'm Republican, but the thing I care the very most about is the environment and protecting our environment. And she's like, so I'm very liberal there, but almost everything else I fall very conservative. And she's like, I hate that I can't care about the environment and be a Republican at the same time. And I think like this is a similar argument of why, if we're forced to pick a side, like are you for gay rights or against gay rights? that's not a, not, not a decision that anyone wants to make. And hopefully that's a pretty easy, easy decision because it's not gay rights. It's human rights and Mm -hmm. protecting those around you, especially that are in the minority in any sort of situation. What are your thoughts on like, how can a conservative try to like deal with that?
1: Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. I think part of it is um, if, you know, if you've never stood in somebody else's shoes, it's hard to see where they're yeah. coming from. Um, I'm, I'm surprised how many people come to me as, as the parent of a, of a gay kid or as, um, you know, they find out that they have a family member, somebody they love who's who's part of the LGBTQ community. And then all of a sudden they're, they're changing and they're saying like, yeah. wow, I didn't realize. Um, and so I think part of it is just starting to, assume, assume you've got somebody you love who's part of this community, mm-hmm. you know, does that change how you feel and how you might vote? And if so, you know, maybe think about like, how is it okay to vote or to, or to yeah. advocate for the things that you are advocating for now, if it would change, if you knew somebody who was part of it, you know, uh, you know, that w- it would affect them more individually. Um, I think, know, I think that's part of it. I think it's really easy for people like you and me to to not know about it. We don't have to know. I don't have to know that in twenty six states I could be denied a hotel room if I tried to check in as a as a lesbian with another woman. Um you know I I don't have that's not a concern that I've ever had before. But now that I know that, that doesn't feel right to me. And that seems like something that um you know business shouldn't be able to deny housing to somebody just because they're gay in a country where gay marriage is legal. Yeah. So I no, think I, you know the more we're informed the the more we can make better choices.
0: For sure. I, I had another listener that uh, came to me and it was funny because I actually had two back to back episodes early on. Episode four was about immigration and uh, basically very talking about the complexities and how this is something that we need to open our minds to and be more willing to accept. And I'm very liberal in air quotes for people, those of you that are listening when it comes to, you know, immigration. But when it but then the very next episode, I talked about Donald Trump. I talked about why the polls got it wrong, and I said, you know, hey, I voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Here's why. Here's what my thinking was. And someone said, well, Connor, I think that's hard for you to make that point because, like, immigration at the end of the day doesn't affect you, so it's easy not to vote on it. But the economy or foreign policy, the military, things like that, you feel have more an effect on your life, so you go vote for what what you know is really going to affect you and i think that's she's right like i didn't have a great answer for her there because of course like we are going to prioritize things that affect our lives more than anything else but we have to balance that we have to still protect those people that may not be in the same boat we are
1: yes i yes um so i told you that i wanted to tell the story about my my dad and Please do. I'd love here. to hear it. Um, so this informs a lot of kind of how I how I think about this. Um, so so my dad is um, was born in 1942. He um, was was born in the U.S. but to immigrant parents from from Italy. So grew up very poor in the South in Louisiana, and oh. um, attended Catholic school as most Italian Americans do. <laughs> Um, but, but incredibly poor. He ended up, um, being a very good athlete. He got a scholarship to LSU, Louisiana State University, um, on a full ride scholarship for track and basketball. He was the first person in his family to go to college. He was the first person to graduate from college. He became a high school math teacher and a basketball coach. He actually organized the first integrated basketball game in Louisiana so he had his really? white white basketball team do a scrimmage match against the black basketball team um and he wow. had a cross burned on his lawn as a result of that um he got a master's degree and then he ended up getting two doctorate degrees and he's now a college professor um, and so by a lot of accounts, there's like a really great story of like an immigrant who worked super hard or like the child of an immigrant, you know, who worked super hard, raised himself up by his bootstraps, um, fought for civil rights, you know, fought for racial equality. And, and because of him, you know, I was yeah. able to live a much better life. I, I grew up without having to worry about with, if there would be food on the table or if I'd yeah. be able to go to college. Um, And then, you know, because he's a college professor, I got half off my tuition, which made my college experience a little bit easier. Um, I ended up getting my master's and a doctorate degree as well. Um, And, you know, part of that is because I I had a dad who set that example for me. Yeah. So it's a good, it's a good story, right? But then you have to like scratch a little bit under the surface. (laughs) And that's where, that's where my, my thought kind of changed because my dad did work really hard. And he definitely, he was smart, he was hardworking um, and and he did accomplish a lot that other people weren't able to accomplish. But he did have an advantage that a lot of other people don't have in this country. And that is that he got that full ride scholarship to LSU because he was an amazing athlete, but also because he didn't have to compete with African-Americans. Every black person in in Louisiana was not allowed to go to LSU Mm -hmm. at that time. So my dad got to go on a basketball scholarship and there were definitely talented black men out there who were not able to do that. And, and that's kind of where, you know, even though he worked hard, even though he, he dedicated himself to this and he definitely earned it, he still had an advantage that he didn't earn that allowed him to get where he was, which allowed me to get where I was, which, you know, is, is allowing our, our family to prosper in this country. And so, you know, I I think it would be hard for anybody to say that my dad was a racist, he fought for civil rights, but he still benefited from a racist system. And that's a truth that that we have to own. And I think as white people in this country, we have to accept the fact that we do benefit from our whiteness. And that's uncomfortable and we didn't earn that and we didn't want that, it doesn't make us bad people, but if we don't acknowledge that truth, then we kind of lose out on, on the understanding of why racism is still an issue in this country and why we should still be concerned with it. So when you say things like, I don't have to care about immigration because it doesn't affect me personally, like that's because at one point in time, it did affect you personally. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like in your history. Yeah. And so then owning that and saying like, okay, it is my issue now. Now it is my issue. And it is something that I do have to care about. um, I think is a way that we can start to build some empathy and it doesn't make you more or less conservative or liberal or whatever. It just makes you understand history a little bit better and understand the interrelationships in our country a little bit better because those people aren't those people anymore. They're my people.
0: I think that is so cool to hear that story told in that way. I mean, one, that's a really inspirational story. How cool is that, that he put together the first, uh, you know, integrated basketball game in Louisiana in that time period. But I think how you told that story at first is how we would typically tell that. This is a success story. This is an immigrant that came and worked hard and his hard work was rewarded. And that's now been passed down onto generations. But I think you just walking us through the kind of next level as we get under the surface, like you said to that story, is eye-opening. And I want to ask you a question because my thought that I had as you were going through that is, you know, you said that we're a part of a, or we've at least benefited from a racist system which there's no doubt that as white people in America, we have been privileged. Like I think that phrase white privilege scares people, but no, like we're privileged. I'm a very privileged person. I wouldn't ever argue with anyone on that. Where I think conversations struggle on this topic is when that all of a sudden is taken to mean whether it's intentional or not of, well, does that mean I'm racist? And I'm not a racist, right? And then immediately when I get called a racist or think someone's calling me racist, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna get defensive and I'm gonna tell you, no, I integrated the first basketball game and I was the guy that was holding that. I had a cross burned on my lawn. The last thing I am is racist, right? What are your thoughts on how we can handle that dichotomy?
1: Yeah, I love that you asked that because I read a really interesting um, article years ago and it gave me this line that I just, really helps me. Um, the author said, and I wish I could quote them, but I don't remember who wrote it. Um, the author said that the only experience that a white person can have that is equivalent to a black person being called the n-word is for a white person to be called a racist. Um, and I thought that that was, that was really, that was, that, that informed me a lot because I feel like we spend, and I'm speaking for white people here, and I'm obviously not everybody, but we spend a large part of our energy on trying to avoid being called racist. It's an incredibly uncomfortable feeling to think that somebody would think that about, that's, that about us. And it's also something that, you know, we desperately don't want to be associated with because it is a horrible, a horrible part of our country's history. Um, and unfortunately, a part of our country's present as well. So, no, I don't think that that you're a racist, I don't think that I'm a racist, I don't think my dad is a racist, even though he went to a segregated school. I think that we all live in a racist system, a system that was built on racism and that has elements of racism in it. And because we're part of that system, some of the racism that exists in it, we're blind to because it's just to us normal. It's just what we see the world and yeah. I remember um, talking to students at at Alta High, which is a at the time that I taught there, it was 97% white. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about, you know, like, is it weird that we're at a school that's 97% white? Um, you know, is isn't that segregation? And they were like, well, no, like, just black people don't want to live here. Like, fine, you know, and and I, to a certain extent, like. That's, that's a valid answer, but then you have to go deeper and say, well, why? Why don't they want to? What's preventing people from, from wanting to live in neighborhoods that are more diverse? You know, like, wh- why do you feel more comfortable in a neighborhood that, where your neighbors are, are going to look like you? Why might other people feel that way? And we need to avoid saying that there's something wrong with, with just accepting a reality that we've been presented. And instead start to look at like, what is it about our reality that we want to change? Because it shouldn't be a judgment thing. It's not, you know, nobody chose the color of skin that they were born in. Um, Nobody chose the parents that they had, but we do get to choose the way in which we engage with the world. And we can only make our choices based on the information we have. So the more informed we become, the better we are at engaging with our world. And that's part of... That's part of what we need to do to make this country a better place, I think. And it's also something that um, when we understand that, um, we can start to talk a little bit more intelligently. And instead of just saying everything's racist or everything is um, you know, closed-minded or whatever, we can start actually talking about what's behind that. And um, you know, I can acknowledge that the, the privileges that I've had that I didn't earn, And then I can use the power that I have to help make sure that doors are open to people who they might not be open to traditionally.
0: I think that's a really good perspective. And that quote you just shared about, you know, the equivalent of being called the N word and the equivalent of being a racist. To me, why I think that really hits home is on both sides of the spectrum there, you know, whatever you're called it's emotionally charged, right? Like it's going to stir up those emotions in you. And I think that's one of the things that's difficult with our political discourse today is a lot of these topics we are discussing are very emotionally charged and like you said, we need to look at this intellectually. Well, the minute a lot of emotion gets involved, intellect can go out the window and reason starts to go out the window and conversations all of a sudden, like we stop listening to each other and we're suddenly trying to defend rather than to listen or more importantly, make progress and say, okay, well, what next? And how, how do we do this? And this isn't the cops versus black people. You know, like th- this isn't, a device, while it is divisive in the sense of, hey, it's emotional and we need to find answers to this, we shouldn't fall into that trap of picking a camp, getting emotional and stating our case, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I've always, surpri- oh, I've always been surprised by, it. like that the response to when people say Black Lives Matter, that the knee-jerk reaction for some people is, no, 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 all lives matter, as yeah. though, as though saying black lives matter somehow denigrates the lives of other people you can't have one without you know and and i think that that, that's exactly it is like can't i say that black lives matter and still honor the fact that there are other lives who are uh, there are other people who also have it hard there are, are other experiences that are also difficult and somehow it feels like everybody wants to center their struggle first as a way to defend themselves against being considered like bias, like, you know, for other people. And that's the attitude that I feel really prevents us from having these good conversations. You know, I have to be able to set my ego aside and say, it's not about me. It's not about what my experience is. It's a, I want to hear yours and I want to learn from you. And then that way I can be a better person. So when somebody says to me, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, I say, yes, they do matter. And tell me more about your experience as a black person or as a person of color. And then, and that doesn't mean that you don't think that my life matters. That doesn't mean that you don't think somebody else's life matters, but I want to hear about why you feel the need to tell me that your life matters, because clearly you're not feeling that right now. And um, I think that if we could approach these topics with that kind of an attitude, the attitude of a listener and of a learner, then we would be able to hear each other and it wouldn't be two sides chanting at each other or worse. It would be two individuals talking.
0: Yeah. I, I had this analogy given to me once. I don't know if you've heard this. I, I kind of want to share this with my listeners about that all lives matter or black lives matter mindset where someone explained it this way. And I said, oh, that's brilliant. They said, it would be like if you went to a Charity uh, event or some like charity auction for breast cancer research. And everyone there was talking about breast cancer and what they had done and stories involving those that had been, you know, that had had breast cancer, research that was being done, and people were donating to support that cause. And if the crowd at the end of the night started chanting, breast cancer matters, breast cancer matters, and someone at the back of the room started shouting, hey, well, all cancer matters leukemia is important too like leukemia matters and it's like that's yes leukemia does matter (laughs) yes all cancer matters like but that's not why we're here tonight we're not here at this charity auction to talk about leukemia even though leukemia is important we're here to talk about breast cancer research and what and people that have been affected by that and so if you come to this event just listen and Mm. see what you can do to help that cause and that doesn't make another cause less than. And to me, I think this like white lives matter, blue lives matter is just our society today doing exactly what you said. Finding a chant that are divide that finding a chant that's divisive and neither side makes any progress. We just all fight and argue with each other.
1: Yeah. Audrey Lorde, I can quote her, <laughs> Audrey Lorde said, we don't want a bigger slice of the pie. We want a different pie. And I think that, you know, that same thing, like, like, we're not no one's taking away from somebody else by getting more rights for for one group. It's not like there's a limited amount of pie out there. And if one person, if certain people get rights, then other people get less, you know, it's it. and I mean, to follow your analogy, too, like, if we raise money for breast cancer, that doesn't hurt leukemia patients. And there's actually a possibility that whatever research is done for breast cancer might benefit other cancers as well. Right? Mm -hmm. So there, you know, if you see us all as interconnected and if you see us all as, as part of the same system, then you realize that what benefits one will benefit somebody else as well.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's cool because this, uh frankly you are one of the more liberal people i know (laughs) right and i think a lot of people would say oh well she's on extreme she's there but this conversation that we have had today is what the podcast is all about about increasing empathy is listening is how to have conversations and i think in closing the last question i want to ask you is we've talked about the importance of listening to each other um But beyond that, like specifically with, we focus today on, you know, on race and on LGBTQ plus rights and those two issues in our world and country right now. What else can we do beyond just listening and trying to have empathy? Like, what is your advice to people that care about these topics, but feel kind of helpless?
1: Really great question. you know, I think I, I will say that one of the tougher steps that I took in my journey towards becoming a, a more of an advocate um, is is talking to other people. So, I, I, you know, I, I said a lot today that listening is really important. But then there's that next step of talking. And that's, um, you know, it's one thing to listen to people and to take it in and to change yourself. But then you have to go to somebody else, another person who looks like you or you and and tell them about it as well, which is really scary. Um, And sometimes it feels really uncomfortable. Um, The advice that that inspired me in my work as an educator was, um, you know, somebody in the room has to feel uncomfortable, somebody in the room has to feel unsafe in order for any progress to be made. And isn't it better that the adult in the room be the one who feels uncomfortable and unsafe than like the 13-year-old child? So when I, you know, work in my classroom to make it a safe, comfortable place for all of my students, that puts me in a position where I'm not always sure that everybody's going to be okay with that. And I'm not always sure that, you know, a parent's not gonna complain or a student's not gonna challenge me on that. but I would rather be the person who takes the brunt of that criticism than to allow one of my students to speak up and say their truth and get attacked for it. Does that make sense? So it's almost, I mean, teachers have this history in our country of literally putting themselves in front of bullets for their, for their students. We love our students. I mean, I, you know, it's been years and years since I've seen or talked to you, but you know, like I, you're, you are important to me and you always will be because you were my student. And that's something that teachers do. And that's something that I think we need, to, um, we need to develop that as a society for each other, right? That sense of like, I'm willing to have a really uncomfortable conversation with my neighbor or my sister-in-law or whoever, because I don't want to make, I don't want a Black family in my neighborhood to feel uncomfortable living there. So now I'm going to be the one who's going to go forward and, and be uncomfortable for them. And that's, that, I think, is something, something that we can do. And, and the other thing, too, is just to become more educated. There have been a lot of great book lists that have come out recently, you know, reading. There are so many amazing TV shows out there to watch just to be a little bit more comfortable in a space that we're not always, um, that we're not always walking in. And I, you know, we're kind of stuck at home a lot more now. So reading and watching TV <laughs> is a great way to experience worlds that maybe don't exist in our daily lives. Yeah. So I think that that's, it's an okay time to sit and just watch TV. <laughs> that, hey,
0: that will say that's the advice. We all need to watch more TV. Uh, just stay off Fox News and MSNBC. Watch something else, right? So I want to, I think that's a great place to end because there's that next step of as we educate ourselves and then that just becomes more of who we are uh, and that, you know, carries on. And I think we make influence in people's lives in more of a granular level. I think so often in the middle of a presidential election, for example, we think of all these big problems as it relates to the country, but often breaking it down to just, You've said several times your neighbors, your community, those around you, and those are the people that you have a direct impact on their life. And I think as we are more empathetic, more informed, we are able to be better people as that happens. Um, Lastly, thank you so much for being on. Uh, I, I loved when you said that about teachers because teachers do play such an incredible role in all of our lives and you know a big thank you to I know I have lots of uh, teachers that listen actually I've got one teacher in particular that like twice a week says you should talk about this you should do this and I love it because it's that mentality of a teacher would love a conversation like this and hopefully we're able to create a whole lot more of it and here we are 10 years later and, you know, we started this call with the things that I remember you teaching me and that still stuck. And hopefully that's become a little part of me. So thank you for that. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I end every episode the same way, but Allie made it very clear that she will be just joining in a silent manner here. So clowns to the left, the joke is to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you.